Coming up, we break down how the NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat give blueprints for the Brooklyn Nets to have success as they look to rebuild around Mikhail Bridges. We break it all down next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. Over here, you're going to find Adam Armbrecht. And we thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. And Doug, I dispense with the pleasantries because this is a, I think, interesting conversation we're about to have. And it's all surrounded by these NBA finals between one not so surprising and one shocking team, the Nuggets and the Heat. Well, I'll, I'll give it. To, I mean, one team is clearly shocking. I mean, like the heat, the heat thing is totally shocking. I, the, I will give the surprise thing around the nuggets only because I don't think many people still did not believe they were going to get here. It was like the Lakers and it was going to be the Warriors. And there was just other teams that were going to end up doing this. So while I get that they were like, you know, first seed and all this other stuff, I still think gun to many people's heads it was not going to happen with Jokic but god the surprise was that the Nuggets finally got there right they finally did the thing that in theory they they could have done for multiple seasons prior to this year yeah for sure and so and I think it's really interesting as we go into the game one of the finals Thursday evening uh starting off in Denver I think it is interesting and I th- we wanted to look at like how these two teams sort of got there and what pieces the Nets can take from this as reminders about either how organizationally it can probably you can think about running things or reminders for them of like how maybe they used to do things and they haven't in a while (laughs) right because I think there are some lessons to be learned here and maybe some things and definitely some things for the Nets that they've gotten completely away from in the last few years yeah we think let's start on the Miami Heat side of it just because the Eastern Conference and everything every way that that unfolded for them you can make the case that it was lucky breaks in terms of what went on with the Milwaukee Bucks. Maybe it was just a reminder that the Philadelphia 76ers still have a long way to go before they figure themselves out. But it, it went the way that Miami was able to continue to surprise teams and then surviving Boston after a, what felt like could have been a Game 7 collapse after being up 3-0 in that series. They get across the line. And so much of what they've been built on is having a roster that's constructed around a couple of key players in a Jimmy Butler, in a Bam Adebayo, some who were drafted, some who were brought in as hired guns, but ultimately a a process that they seem willing to lean into and believe it can lead to consistency. Whether or not it's NBA championships, at least consistency year over year, where internally they're not so surprised that they make it to the NBA finals in this given season. Yeah. So on the one hand, you're like, okay, the heat had a negative point differential for the season. So it's like, how much do you really want to build a team like this? Right? Like they got outscored on the season. They won all their close games and basically lost everything else. Right. So, um, and barely made it to the playoffs. That being said, I don't even want to call it total luck that they've made it to the finals here. Cause when you're looking at a team, one, they have an amazing coach Two. And I'm not even just glossing over the coaching, but I just want to because they have so many things that are going for them here that the list could probably get pretty long. 
but mm-hmm. between the coaching, the front office, the consistency around the kind the roster and the kind of player they seem to want to bring in and having everyone just sort of bought in along the same lines. I think the Nuggets are the same way, by the way. They're just built with a different group of guys, but like a lot of the tenants are essentially the same with the Nuggets when you look sort of across the aisle. But these teams and the Heat really probably exemplify this more than anybody. It's like we have a plan. We have a kind of player that's going to fit our culture. You know, Nets forever want to talk about culture. Like this is straight up culture, <laughs> right? This is a, this is like they, it's the it's the definition of it. Their picture should be next to the word when it comes to NBA stuff. Um, and they sort of know none of it's reactionary. And even when it goes bad, it doesn't even go that bad. Like because because right. you want to say, oh, you not need to have good luck, or you need to have not have bad contracts. I mean, they have some terrible contracts. <laughs> like Kyle Lowry makes thirty million a year. He kind of plays. Duncan Robinson, that contract has stunk for a while. Tyler Hero didn't even play. <laughs> like, and he's twenty-seven million dollars a year. But, but I think it's because they they have a cert, they have a plan. They know exactly sort of who they want to have around and what style they want to play. It actually makes it easier to weather those storms. When because everything sometimes things will go bad, but when you are consistent with your plan, it is much much easier to deal with down. You you negate so much downside risk when you, when when that's the case, right? Rather than just always trying to oh put your fingers to stop the leaks or whatever, which was frankly what most teams do. Yeah, and it's interesting too because in a lot of ways, I think Nets fans could look at a team like Miami and say. Again, by the way, they still made their swing for a, a superstar. Sure, Jimmy yeah, Butler, yeah, I think we all so now, right? Like you have to do that. But but to your point about being unwavering in, in what they believe Miami to be the right strategy, right? Like it's this slow and methodical process that sometimes bubbles up to an NBA Finals appearance. They may not win, but is consistent and repeatable in how they want to go about it. And I think. You could make the argument that when you look back at the Brooklyn Nets, there's been two instances going back to the the KG and Paul Pierce trade with Boston, and then even going and getting Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Some of this is through the prism of, of seeing the results, but they were flinching in their belief in what they were constructing. Because if you want to go back to the pre-KD Kyrie era, you can say, was that team and with Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell and all those guys, was that team with Jared Allen, were they ever going to compete for a title? Maybe not, probably not, almost likely not. And yet you maybe just could have built on that and had controllable pieces and then made a strategic play for a Jimmy Butler type that is both a superstar caliber player and yet not at the level of, and I I know it's there now, but he's not regarded and does not regard himself the way other superstars are regarded in the way that they're looked at, right? So it's like, there is this very threaded needle that Miami has successfully accomplished that the Nets in a lot of ways have come to the precipice of and then and then made that hard turn and made a big swing. And sometimes it's just about whether or not those swings work out. In the Nets case, they haven't. In Miami's case, they almost always have. You can go all the way back to LeBron and, and the big three with Wade and Bosh, obviously, too. I'm sure if you ask Jimmy, he'd make him. He'd say he's the best player. But but I get what you're saying. I get, I, get, I know yeah, what you're saying though because he'll say it. But here's but here's the difference. If you hear if you listen to Jimmy Butler talk about and this is what it means like bringing the right kinds of guys, right? Like when you hear him talk, he was he was asked the other day about like role players, and he's and he actually took offense. He's like, there are no role players in this team. He's like, there's other basketball mm-hmm. players. Like he he even like made sure 
it's it's so funny about like I'm man, I could probably go off on this, but like so funny to listen to hear him talk about this stuff. And then like you go back three months ago in this season where Kevin Durant is complaining about having to play with the guys on his team (laughs) and using them by by name, by name as like, don't like this guy, not a fan of him. I mean, how bad does that quote look now? I like that quote looks so bad that the quote looked bad at the time. And I think it was a little out of context, but still like, it looks even worse now because Butler is like basically playing with those guys. I mean, they have different names, but they're essentially the same. And he's everyone's willed each other to make the championship. Um, and so, and with Butler too, like if you look at like just sort of if you have a plan in place, you can even deal with mercurial talents. Like remember, like Butler was like basically was going to punch Spolster last year, right? right? But the difference is you, it's all okay because you have a plan, <laughs> right? Like right. you. You have it's all okay because you have like marching orders around how you want to run your organization so you can deal with this stuff and and act, and just come out okay on the other side rather than be like, hey, we're mad. Well, guess what? Now Kenny Atkins is fired. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, oh, we're mad. Yeah. It's like, well, now it's t- trying to time to trade Jared Allen, right? Like all these reactionary moves. It's just like the the, the Nets have done were a case study sort of in how not to do it <laughs> for a long time, and the Heat were a case study of how to do it. And coming up here in a second, we'll look over at the Denver Nuggets side and think about how these two teams in the finals, one organization has a lineage, a track record of being able to lean into how they do things. The other one in the Denver Nuggets is maybe showing that that's what they've been doing and trusting over these last handful of years. We'll dive in on Jokic and the Nuggets next. All right, before we get into that, i got to make a fast break to FanDuel during these NBA playoffs and the NBA Finals. Right now, new customers are going to get a no-sweat first bet up to, wait for this number, $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. you got all kinds of great stuff on FanDuel right now. One thing I'm liking here for Game 1 of the Finals, now right now, Denver's minus 9. That's tough. It's Game 1 of the Finals, minus 9. Feels like a massive number to cover, but if you think Miami's going to keep it close because they've been fighting here, Jokic with the points plus assists at over 37 and a half. I'm really liking that one. I'm also going to go Butler points plus assists under 33 and a half. I think they're going to turn it off over to those aforementioned role players here. Just some of the stuff you can find for yourself over at FanDuel. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's fanduel.com slash locked on fanduel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay. So the other team, not to be disrespected or disregarded, but I kind of knew as soon as you start talking Miami, you get rolling down the hill on that team. And by the way, this, this actually applies to both. Well, can I just here. say one thing? Sorry to interrupt you. I just want to say one thing about rolling downhill. I kind of just got mad. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I started, because I, what I want, I want to talk about Denver, but I just want to put one pin on the end of that thing. Yeah, I started giving some examples. There's like 50 examples like this of, oh, yeah. of like, of the wrong thing to do it. And I found myself, we hadn't even talked about that. I just found myself, I was about to just unload my own floodgates here being like, here are the 50 things that went wrong. So sorry. Anyway, get, let's go with the nuggets. I didn't want to cut you off, but yeah. no, no. And by the way, because it's funny, we were talking about Jimmy Butler and you're mentioning the quotes that he has and cutting someone off and saying, no, it's just a bunch of basketball players, and that's what our yeah. team is built on. And that's the 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 hair-splitting difference between a superstar with the right mentality versus the wrong one. And it doesn't mean that you can't accept certain things when it comes to players. But Nikola Jokic came out and said, I'm okay not being the best player on the team on a given night. And everything about him as a superstar has been that he's about winning. He's about the team. All he cares about is playing basketball, 
going home and seeing his family in the offseason, coming back, playing more basketball. And just like the Miami Heat, I said it there in segment one, this is an organization that had several opportunities over the last few years to maybe push a panic button, which a lot of yep. organizations have done. The, the LA Lakers, by the way, they pushed the panic button and went all in on getting Anthony Davis. Now, right move to pair with LeBron? Sure. But what? But then they also made the mistake of letting LeBron fill out their roster and then had to do enormous Herculean work at the deadline to make sure they could continue to make themselves a playoff team. The Denver Nuggets have just kind of methodically gone about with their core players, Joker, with Murray, with their head coach there, and then guy like Aaron Gordon, timely pickup, a player that went in Orlando. You looked at him and said, I don't know, man. I mean, where would you really put him? Turns out he's the perfect piece to add into that type of roster. And if at any point you you got really antsy about it, you could make the case that Denver might have pulled the trigger on a trade with Murray to somewhere else, and that would have crumbled everything that they've been building towards and potentially an NBA championship. Oh, I mean, it's been reported they they had an offer. Um, they did not give the name, and I can't, I'm going to do a bad job of finding this real quick on the fly. But Malone was asked about it, and it was like it was a player you definitely heard of, and it's good. They were offered like for Jamal Murray, and right. they said no because it was like no, we have a great thing here. Let's just keep the stay the course. Like this, we're building something really good here. This is going to work long term. And that is looking correct, right? And we don't know who the player is and who knows how these other things work out. Jokic is so good that, and you always need these forces, right? You need these superstars. To, like, to, it has to start there. You're never getting all the way on culture. You have to have superstars in your team. There are a lot of superstars in the NBA, though, right? So, like, yeah. it's it's not just one kind of guy. Butler's nothing like Jokic, right? Like, um, but knowing knowing that you have something knowing continuity will help right knowing that consistency and continuity will always help you and might actually be the last thing that you need to reach that next level right because like you know just look at the phoenix suns like it was sort of the opposite kind of situation i'm not blaming them but like you know they got absolutely rolled in that series and they had the second and third best players in the series right well, it's like they, had, the they had Jokic, and then they had the two, next two best players but the Denver just was the better of the sum of the, all their parts. Well, and by the way, Ty, and you mentioned Phoenix. That's where Kevin Durant is now. We know that. Take a look at Dallas inside the conference with the Nuggets as well, right? They they make a panic move. Now, I'm not telling you that that team without making the trade for Kyrie Irving is going to be any better or worse or maybe still ends up missing the playoffs because it was that kind of year for them. But guess what? You stripped away some critical pieces of your team in Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. There's a reason why Nick Angstad from Locked On Mavs said, hey, man, if we were talking about mock trades, could we get back Dorian Finney-Smith in a package on draft night, right? So, like, it is results-oriented, but there's a team that has a superstar, maybe the best player, arguably one of the best players in the league, and they don't know what they're doing, and they made the wrong swing. Now, they didn't have two high-caliber players, right, like the Denver Nuggets do, but, but the swing and misses, man, they can really destroy your short-term outlook and put you in a really bad spot where you're contemplating the max contract for a player that we'll talk maybe a little bit more here when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets that can really do damage to how you build your team out. The Nuggets have avoided that and are maybe finally getting over that final hump of actually winning the chip. Yeah, and it, a lot of the, with these two teams, um, the Heat and Nuggets, it boils down to I think like having like this the consistency of approach and not be, like you said not panicking if things don't go exactly right in the moment. Right now, they fired it's helpful. A year ago, you know, they could have fired oh, yeah. their head coach for sure, for sure. And like, and so just not doing these moves, not not 
you know, sort of worrying about how the optics might look or like, you know, or saying like, hey, we have an opportunity to get like one better guy, which sometimes is the right move, by the way. So it's not like it's not every one of these situations is is sort of independent from each other. But what you see from these both of these teams and what you and what you really just end up seeing from like some of the, the teams that are able to do this consistently, the Warriors were like this, too. Right. It was like consistent approach. We have a plan. These are the guys. This is who we're going to war with. We'll fill in the other pieces who fit our structure. And that's how we go forward. Right. And now it takes luck. Like you got to get, you got to grab some of these guys in the draft and like you have to, but you have to be able to develop these players too. And none of these guys, none of the, none of the superstars that I'm mentioning here, like, you know, Jokic or Butler or Curry, like none of them were high draft picks, right? They're all been, they're all developed. I mean, Curry was a high draft pick, but he was like, you know what? Like 11th, like he wasn't, the top three pick or whatever um, locked by any stretch. Right. right when you're no, no, no. And the first couple of years was like sort of weird. Right. And so point being, you have to have, you have to like sort of know what you want to do as a team. You have to know how to develop players. You have to be able to see five, six years in the distance and be able to say, Hey, it might not all go right during this time, but I kind of know what we're working toward here. So therefore I'll, I'll know, within a range of what to do and not to do. And I think with the Nets, just to bring it to the Nets here, that is just something we have not seen. We have not seen that for years now. Years. And that's, and that's what I was going to say, because coming up here in the third segment, we are going to discuss from a Brooklyn Nets perspective, developing players, having patience, but but to tie to them directly here, the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving move. Again, this isn't about in the vacuum of, would you make that signing a thousand times out of a thousand? I, I guess, you know, at the time we said yes, and we said yes for so many moments after that. However, to your point about understanding what the range of outcomes are, that's what the Brooklyn Nets failed to understand in that moment, signing Kyrie Irving and knowing that was going to mean getting Kevin Durant and then having those players and making the move to trade for James Harden and knowing what that was going to mean when you took on a contract like Ben Simmons, right? Because what you ended up doing is now we can make the art, we can argue about, hey, three, four years from now, they've got all this draft capital and they can reset things. But what they didn't afford themselves was potentially the ability to stay competitive, stay in the playoff picture, and not feel like you were going from the range of has to be a championship. Maybe we should be dumpstering as a lottery team. Maybe we're going to be a you know play-in team. But maybe we're, you know, it's they put themselves in these very murky waters for three and a half years. And now even coming out of it in this moment, we're excited about someone like Mikhail Bridges, even if we're we don't think that. Cam Johnson is at, at the height of a top 25 player in the league. We like him. We like the one player that we can say that developed in Nicholas Claxton. But that's almost like, did you get lucky in being able to pull off that trade? So we'll, we'll dive into how the Brooklyn Nets came to where they are and why they have their own blueprint of success that they just seem to stop paying attention to here in just a second. All right, so the Brooklyn Nets are sitting at home watching the NBA Finals, as every team but two are doing right now. And there's a lot more high-profile superstars that are far more upset about it. When we look at the Brooklyn Nets, the funny thing, and I'll, I'll look at the Miami Heat in this vein, because they've done such a nice job. You talk about Tyler Hero having a, a big contract, obviously, and Robinson having a big number. But they found players that cost $1 and $2 million dollars and Caleb Martin and Struess that can fill in, that can step into starting roles and become critical pieces to success. The Brooklyn Nets did this when they got Joe Harris off the scrap heap. They did this with Spencer Dinwiddie. The problem is, or at least what it looks like, is their fatal flaw 
was signing Joe Harris to a contract after they squeezed the value. Like, I'll be curious to see what Miami does going forward when you look at those numbers and think, do we keep around guys that we maybe maximized value on and end up overpaying? Or do you have to be a little bit critical of your own talent and make sure that you keep replenishing that youth and keep developing the next wave of supporting cast? Yeah, and see, and it's funny about that. So I think, and this wraps in with the Harris thing, I think actually where the Nets went wrong here as compared to these other teams, the I, they weren't wrong by signing Kevin Durant. You always do it. I don't even think they were wrong by signing Kyrie Irving. Because no matter even what you thought of Kyrie, if you thought that was the only way to Kev, get Kevin Durant, then you do that too. <laughs> like, so I, in, and, and, and I think Kyrie was the right guy anyway. So like, whatever. Where I think they went wrong is they actually didn't know what to do after that. See, this is where the organization wasn't strong enough <laughs> to figure, like to, to be able to weather mistakes after this, because, you know, you sign Harris, fine. The contract doesn't look that great. Okay, fine. We just showed you examples for the Heat of like they have bad guys on these contracts too, but they seem to be they're in the finals, you know. So you can make it to the finals with a bad contract. It's but it's like a miss about it was it was two things. Like to your point, it was a misevaluation of their own talent for sure, and it was also a misevaluation of like sort of just what the plan was. I think their plan was like, hey, we got these guys, good to go, <laughs> right? And it was like, well, that actually isn't it. And now it's like now we're moving coaches around, and now we're not sure who's going to play, and now this guy's going to start, this guy's not. And then, and then when you compound maybe some bad contract decisions, like a Joe Harris, like a Patty Mills, letting yep. Bruce Brown go, like, you know, we didn't even mention old friend Bruce Brown in the finals here, um, fits that system perfectly. Jeff Green, too. Um, RIP. But, uh, like, the, they just, like, all these other moves get, all the other moves are end up becoming just not good enough and, and, and just sort of just like kind of just grabbing a pieces of paper and seeing what works. Right. Because like right. the, the plan wasn't there. You have to have both things happen at once. You have to be able to talent evaluate and build your players alongside the superstars that you're able to lucky enough to bring in the door. Right. They were, they yep, were good yep. enough to build an organization where they could bring superstars in the door. They did not have a steady enough hand to deal with those guys once they were in the door. <laughs> Right. And like, and all of a sudden, and then that's where all the, and that that's where all these death by a thousand paper cut moves started happening. And that, and that's kind of the reason I think they ended up here. So you're always going to have bad contracts, but you just have to know what your plan is going to be. Yeah. And now to, if I want to try to tie it into the Denver nuggets and it's a very different scale where the nets are now and the players that they have now. However, if we want to now look at it in the, in this short term for the Brooklyn nets and say, so do they need to make the big swing and, and trade for Dame Lillard and trade for, you know, player X? We talked about Pascal Siakam the other day. Or do they need to push the full rebuild and be willing to jettison players for X, Y, and Z? Patience. Now, again, the Brooklyn Nets don't have Nikola Jokic. So it's <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't like, just be patient. And eventually, we'll talk about Mikhail Bridges being the best player in the game. That, that's, that's not going to happen. However... Being patient now, riding out, and you talked about the other day about Ben Simmons, ride it out. It is what it is. The money's on the books. Yes, you'd love to get off of it, but no matter what, in two seasons, you know you're off of it. So ride that out. If you have young players like Nicholas Claxton, who they've developed, ride it out. Don't push the panic button here and jettison someone that you've invested years in now and feel like is continuing to show new layers to his game. The problem here becomes 
and you you mentioned it. Does Sean Marks like he did years? What is years ago now? Twenty, you know, before the 2019 season, you know, 2018, 2017, finding these players. D'Angelo Russell's a part of that too. Does Sean Marks still have that ability? Does he still have that evaluation eye to say I can make some key pickups on the market? and bring them into this fold. And it's funny because we'll end up talking about this on another episode. Part of this patience is probably going to leave Brooklyn Nets fans frustrated when they look at this roster going into next year. And there's still some old names. There's still some age on this roster because I think the Brooklyn Nets are trying to get back to that right process. And part of that is then not selling too quickly on a guy you think can be good knowing that you have contracts like Joe Harris and others that you wish you could get off of, right? So it's the old, don't make a panicked move because you made some bad choices. The Nets aren't out of the weeds yet, but I'll be fascinated to see how they approach restructuring things, trying to get better at key spots, trying to get better on the boards, trying to get a point guard in the door, all of those things. But it's not going to happen overnight. So if you're not patient, you can actually end up crumbling yourself all the way down and really be a lottery team by 26, 27, 28, when you have all those picks. But you could actually be a lot lower, a lot quicker if you don't do this right. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, this is why it's going to. This offseason is going to be fascinating to see what they do. I, I don't know what it's going to be. It can go a lot of different directions. I think I know sort of like what sort of directions I want it to go, um, and what not. Like I don't want it to involve like just like banking into like long term contracts that might be look really bad at the end. In terms of evaluating a talent, I, I'm not sure where they stand with this. I, like, there's basically two guys two rotation players on this team that they brought in through the draft, Nick Claxton. And I'm just like kind of counting Cam Thomas. Like, I guess you have to, right? Okay. So he was, he was in the rotation. So count him. That's it. Those are the only two guys that they drafted that are a little regular season day run. Right. Like that's, I mean, those are, those are the guys. That's the whole list. And, and it's not like they, and you know, they send some of them out to get hardened. I would do that trade a hundred times out of a hundred too. So I, I get it. But, um, I, I'm not sure where the talent evaluation is because there's been some hits. Royce O'Neal, fine, you know, outplayed the contract. There's, you know, obviously the Bridges thing was was great. I, I think that that was kind of no brainer. I think any any GM kind of you know sees that and probably does it. But I mean, the Simmons things that such such an F minus that I I don't even know like if that's that's too high of a grade, right? And like the Mills thing is terrible. Uh, some things are injuries here. It's hard to tell like where the Harris injury came into play. Anyway, my point is I, I'm not sure where they stand. I, like it, it hasn't looked great in terms of patience and, and player development over the last couple of years. I, I think he ha- like Marks has to build that resume back up. I, I don't think it's good yeah. enough to just point. It's at this point, it's just not good enough to point to the past successes because we are kind of pretty far removed from those. <laughs> right. And, and, and so I, Yeah. No, no. And I will say, because I, I, I 100% agree with you. It's like, you, you don't get to point back to, remember, I did this thing seven, eight years ago. So, you know, I got that going for me. Um, but also, if we think about the way Miami did it, so these combinations, of these two teams in the finals we're talking about, remember, going into this draft, you have two picks. There's a lot of options they have there. Picking the right mold of player that you think is developable, developable over a year or two maybe behind some veterans that you wouldn't think should stick around this roster. That can be the path to success, but you have to hit on those, right? David Duke Jr. Have, you know, nothing to write, nothing to write home about him so far. R- Roquan Gray, second round pick, but like hasn't shown up at the NBA level at any point. Took Drew, Drew Smith comes out of nowhere and plays some random minutes. Like 
there is a very long list of players that Sean Marks has drafted or brought in and he's missed on. By the way, a guy that we should make sure we mention before we get the door, Yudawatanabe was a hit going and grabbing him and maybe you get to keep him around on a team-friendly contract. So the, the little whispers of success are there. It's just whether or not you can do it now when you have all of the restrictions of having had superstars on your team because the cap is a mess and none of that young developed talent, at least in this moment. So there, there, there's a very uncertain road ahead. I like to think Sean Marks can do it, but this has not been an uplifting, uh, an uplifting episode. Yeah, but they, but I mean, uh, then I'll just, I'll just push back on that one because like, they dumped Kessler Edwards for cash, right? Well, Kessler, like they, I, I was doing that before. Kessler Edwards was like, and now again, we had our gripes about his game, but we also said all of the little things were there to think that he's the kind of guy you do develop and he can become that player. And in, in what felt like a panicked move, you didn't push to dump Patty Mills money to dump to dump. It wasn't well, sorry, it wasn't a panic move. It was a it was like let's get under the tax move. I, like it was right, it was yeah, panic. Yeah. About, it was right. it was panic about the bank account. It was like not panic about like it wasn't a basketball panic. It was like right. hey, this luxury bill is gonna kind of stink. Uh, yeah. So like let's get rid of it. But I'm saying like that's also a bad process. Well, anyway, okay, let's get out of here. Uh, we were gonna hit some more draft stuff here. For, we're, we're gonna hit some more draft stuff here. We'll be talking NBA finals as we roll through here too. So be really pretty fascinating finals, I think. Uh, so we got a lot of stuff coming here over the course of this week and next week. Make sure you are locked in to Locked On Nets on YouTube. We're climbing towards six thousand subscribers. Let's get there. Let's get there before the season starts. I think that's gonna be. A, yeah. That's a pretty easy. I like to make our goals nice and manageable, and that before one is draft. really manageable. Yeah, six thousand. What's that? By the draft. That was going to be a little tougher, but if we really want to work at it, 6,000, we can get there by the job. Anyway, let's go over and subscribe to Locked On Nets over on YouTube. Snake? What snake? I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't see any snake. That's Beetlejuice from Beetlejuice. Well, coming back with Beetlejuice 2 here and coming down the pike. We will be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. <laughs>